Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is Tuesday. It is September 28th, the year of our Lord 2021. I got about an eighth of a tank remaining when it comes to voice. I barely have a voice right now. You notice I'm speaking a little bit lower and a little bit softer, mouth's a little bit closer to the microphone. I don't know if I'm going to make it all the way. I already feel like I'm bear crawling to the finish line, but we cannot miss an episode right now for reasons I'm about to tell you about in just a second. So I'm going to try and make it. Uh, If I stop at any time, if the voice cracks, if I begin whispering, don't make it awkward. Just go with it. You and I will make it together. For those of you unfamiliar and judging by the spreadsheet that our buddy Lance Glenn sends me every Monday morning, that means a few thousand of you week by week. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast, not to be confused with Late Kick Live. We do an exclusive mailbag twice a week on Tuesday morning and Thursday morning. You can't find this anywhere else. It is podcast only, and it is you asking and it is me responding as best I can, joshpate706 at gmail.com. That's one way to get at me. The more frequently trafficked ways are on Twitter and Instagram in the DMs, at Late Kick Josh. And also lately, I've just been tweeting out 20 minutes before I start recording. Hey, I'm about to start recording. Drop your questions here. And that's where I've been getting a lot of them. Also, the podcast review section, I get them from there too. But thank you so much. So I told you I was about to tell you why we can't miss a show. Every Monday, I get a new traffic report. I get YouTube traffic. I get podcast traffic. Our numbers are mind-boggling right now. We have low-range, mid-range, and high-end estimates for what we can achieve every single month. And it's September 27th. As of two days ago, we had already hit above the top end of the projections for YouTube and for podcast. And as you know, podcast, although you happen to be listening to it right now, this is not even the main channel that we put Late Kick on. YouTube is the main platform over on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. That's the main way that Late Kick has always been consumed. Podcast, as you've noticed, we've been taking a lot more serious lately. Do you know that we are a top 15 football podcast on planet Earth? That's NFL and college, guys. This hasn't even existed but a year and a half. And this isn't our primary source. We are also now top 70 in all of sports podcasts mind-boggling. We put zero dollars into marketing this. Again, let me remind you, this is on you. This is absolutely on you. I was doing an interview today, and I was talking about that very thing. Our audience, if they could be put in the hands of a marketing firm, that marketing firm would pay millions and millions of dollars to have you guys because you market, you own the show because it is your show, and you treat it like it is. You spread the word. It's incredible. I get tagged hundreds of times a day in tweets or posts on Instagram about you guys spreading the word about the show. Not to mention, we've just been littering the background of College Game Day and SEC Nation with all sorts of late kick and Pate State paraphernalia. I've already had like a dozen of you send me pictures of the posters that you're taking to this weekend's broadcast. And by the way, as we debuted on Late Kick Live Sunday night, Pate State chalices or chalai of supremacy are on the line. I got them custom made. 
those get sent to anyone that gets our brand in any national spotlight. That has been fun to watch because, you know, I'm on the road. I'm going to tell you a story about this past weekend's road trip in just a second. But I'm on the road, and I'm always in a hotel room, and I'm normally getting ready to go to whatever stadium we're at that week. And I, for three weeks in a row, this is how it's happened. My phone has blown up, and it's been you guys sending me pictures, notifying me, as you should, because otherwise I'll never see it, of our posters making it on air. We were on Sports Center last week, Game Day, SEC Nation. And so thank you for that. I mean, you know I appreciate it. I tell you every week. But that's been really fun. I have a sneaking suspicion this weekend is going to deliver to the degree that even we haven't seen yet. So let's get ready for that. And let's dive into the mailbag. We got a lot of good stuff here. First up is David, uh, one of our appendectomy patients that we discussed recently. So he says, first off, he wants to let all of you know he's on the mend. So David is on that road to recovery, minus an appendix, but he's still he's still ticking. He says, I actually think Ole Miss and Bama are pretty even heading into Saturday, but does the Florida game give Bama a leg up in the battle-tested department? Uh, Yeah, I would say that. I wouldn't argue with that. It always helps. I, I bet if you listen to that coaching staff, they breathe the sigh of relief, but someone like Nick Saban is secretly happy that that kind of stuff happens. Now, he doesn't want to lose, but if he can have one of those early season struggle wins, it's great because what it does is it's like, a figurative hand reaching out and grabbing you by the shirt and then twisting it and holding you up against a wall, and it just kind of shakes you, rattles you a little bit. And then you've got the team's attention. Did you notice? You probably didn't. If you're not a Bama fan, you probably didn't watch this past weekend's game. They were on fire. Against Southern Miss, they really clicked. They really executed. And for that matter, the Bama crowd was on fire too because Nick Saban made a few comments during the week about how loud the swamp had been and how it's inexcusable for – them to go on the road and experience that and not experience it at home. So, so Bama played Southern Miss. They were favored by 45. And this shows you how they treat football at Alabama. Southern Miss has procedural penalties on the opening drive due to crowd noise. Again, 45-point favorite. Place is jam-packed. They got 100,000 folks in there. Crowd's insane. And also afterwards, Nick Saban said something that oftentimes you don't hear when you're favored by that much. And that is, we performed at a very high level. We were sharp. And you think to yourself, well, of course you were you were playing an inferior opponent. No, no, no. It's the opposite most of the time. Most of the time, you end up running the score up, but you're very inefficient and ineffective and not sharp and unfocused while you're doing it. You just have superior athleticism over four quarters. It works out that way. I think one of the telltale signs that there were positive impacts for Alabama from that Florida game, ironically, were found in the Southern Miss game, which no one watched. Well, everyone will be watching along with us because I'll be down there Saturday. You will see it. If that's true, you will see it on display when they play Ole Miss. Next up, a lot of you asked Sunday about trip to Dallas and the Arkansas-Texas A&M game. I gave you a little bit of feedback on it on Sunday, but I always like to take these Tuesday pods, take a couple of minutes, and just expound on some things that happened behind the scenes you didn't get to see. Let me tell you the first thing that happened. So I am staying in a hotel, thankfully, right next to AT&T Stadium. Normally, it's not like that. I could have walked if I wanted to. We were that close. So I did not have to get up early or anything like that. I got in Friday, and the game was uh, 3.30 Eastern time kickoff, so 2.30 local time. But I did have a 10 a.m. local time live hit for CBS Sports HQ. So I'm over there. I'm inside the stadium, and we do the live hit, and then we got five hours really until kickoff and a couple of hours until teams arrive. So myself and Dane Clevin, a.k.a. Big Game Dane, my camera guy, he says, let's go over to Texas Live. Texas Live, for those of you unfamiliar, is this huge establishment that's between where the Cowboys play and where the Rangers play. It's all in the same area there. 
So we go over there. They open the gates at 11. We go in. We eat. And uh, I don't even drink. You guys know that about me. I don't drink. And yet, waitress walks up. She got a shot in her hand. It is not even noon yet. Got a shot in her hand for each of us. Puts it down on the table and says, uh, two gentlemen wanted me to give this to you. They said it's courtesy of something called the Roman Noodle Express. That's how she pronounced it. I don't even know who it was. I don't even know which of you guys were in there because there were hundreds of people in this place. I'm over there drinking my water on the rocks, eating my cheeseburger, and all of a sudden there it is, 11.38 a.m., someone buys your boy a shot because of the Ramen Noodle Express, and then the Ramen Noodle Express proceeds to go two and four. I don't know if it was a good omen or a bad omen that caused that to happen. We will rebuild, though, and we're still above 500 on the year. We'll be fine there. So I met several of you in there. I met several of you outside the stadium. I don't know if it was in the hundreds or just a ton of dozens, if that's proper. Well, even if it's not, that's fine. Uh, but then I got in the stadium and we, so, so I love to see team arrivals. Love it. I always record it. I always put it in the Instagram story, at Late Kick Josh. If you want access, if you want some stuff you're not going to see on TV, make sure you're following me on Instagram and keeping up with that Instagram story. I probably put, anywhere between 20 and 40 pieces of video that I'm shooting. So it's firsthand. I'm shooting it. It's all from the iJosh throughout any given day when I'm on the road on a Saturday. And so I get there, and I remembered something about AT&T Stadium once I was there. This place is so huge. It looks fake. When you're outside of it, when you first put your eyes on it, it looks fake. It's really incredible. It's like a spaceship. And so you go in, and you realize it was built out in the middle of nowhere, really, not that there's nothing around it. It's not like tumbleweeds blowing through the parking lot, but it's not downtown. It's a little ways outside. It's, it's in Arlington. And so there's a lot of room. Jerry Jones picked a place with a lot of room. And he built a very, very big kind of cathedral venue for all sorts of different things. But this place, everything about it's big. It's Texas, of course. So everything about it's big. But one of the most unique features of AT&T Stadium is every other stadium I've been to, when teams arrive, the buses pull up outside the stadium. In some cases, in college towns, they pull up way away from the stadium and you do some form of a team walk to the stadium. Even at some of the bigger NFL venues, like when you go to the SEC championship game, whether it's Georgia Dome or whether it's Mercedes-Benz Stadium now, rest in peace, Georgia Dome. You know my long-held affection for that building. It will not go away. But most of the time when you're arriving, you pull up outside, you walk in some freight elevator or a freight garage, and you're in there. That is not the way it works at AT&T Stadium. This place was built so big that the tunnels are big enough to drive buses through and drive full 18-wheelers through. So what happens when you arrive there as media, you get your credentials and everything, and you walk down that same tunnel that they drive all the freight into the building. They do all the load-ins there. They also let the buses come in there. And when teams arrive, I showed some of this video the other day, instead of pulling up outside and then players get out and they walk into the stadium – those buses drive down that tunnel underground inside the stadium, and then they drive around a corner. This is all happening in the building to give you an idea of how much space there is. Five huge charter buses pull down in there. They go around a corner, and then they drive all the way down the tunnel like 60 or 70 yards. It's almost the length of the field. They drive you right up to your locker room, and that's the entrance that you make at AT&T Stadium. It's so fascinating, though, to see because it's like, what would normally be a little tunnel is as big as a roadway. You can walk the entirety all the way around the lower levels down there in kind of the bowels of the building. You can walk all the way around it. You could drive 18-wheelers all the way around the perimeter of the field if you wanted to. And the other unique feature, keep in mind, 
there is still a ton of space that's open even after you're driving buses around. They also can do all the load in inside the building. I've always loved this stuff, like concert tours, uh, pro wrestling or football, the production. It's, it's just mind-boggling. If you guys could see what it takes to get that stuff on TV live, the amount of people it takes to get. I think CBS had a crew of 90 people working the game the other day. It's insane. It's amazing. That's not counting temporary folks. That's just the employed people there. And then you've got an army of temps there. And so, man, it's crazy. So what happens is normally if you're in a college town, if you're at Jordan-Hare Stadium, for example, you probably, if you've walked around that stadium before, you'll see the production trucks outside because there's certainly no room to drive them in anywhere. At AT AT&T Stadium, I counted 13 luxury buses and production trucks parked down inside the garage. It's just a massive, wide-open area. It's right off the field. In fact, if they opened that garage door, you could see this from the field if you were there. Uh, All that's in there. It's just a huge structure. And so that I always love to check out. That's fascinating. There is not another building that I've been in that has that kind of feature where you can fit everything over a dozen huge tractor trailers and buses and still have room to bring five more through there. No problem. They also have a parking lot inside the building. They got a parking lot outside the Cowboys locker room. I would imagine players drive their cars into the stadium uh, because there are Tons of open parking spots that aren't even being used. There's like three rows of parking right outside the Cowboys locker room. So I don't know. Maybe that doesn't stand out to anyone else. But that is a couple of the features that stood out to me on this lovely weekend. We'll be in Tuscaloosa Saturday, I'm sure, to have a number of things to talk to you about from that one. Zach, up next, can I get a fellow Harris County alumni shout-out on Late Kick Extra? Yes, Zach, here is your shout-out from one Harris County high school alumni to another one, or I guess alumnus. This always confused me, by the way. The whole alumni, alumnus, because I always thought alumni, even though it's plural, described one person. I always refer to myself as an alumni, and then alumnus gets told to me, and so now I just call myself an alum. I just abbreviate it. That's the most foolproof way to go through life. Abbreviate words you don't really know the proper usage for. And then if you really want to trigger the grammar Nazis out there, for any kind of plural, just throw an I on the end of it. When Facebook statuses started being said, I just started calling them stati, Facebook stati. When we made the chalice of supremacy, and I have several of them, instead of chalices of supremacy, those are just chali of supremacy. And people get, people get disproportionately angered about it. They'll start laughing, but then they'll say, no, no. But you know it's, you know it's really statuses, right? No, it's stati. No, bro, it's statuses. I think I'm going to go with stati. No, you idiot, it's statuses. This is what I shouldn't do because I'm already losing my voice. But people will get disproportionately triggered because of that. And you will make the grammar Nazis out themselves. I encourage it. I encourage that kind of behavior. We move right along on this Tuesday morning, even though I'm secretly recording on Monday night. Parker had a question. He said, is this year evidence that 2019 LSU and 2020 Alabama were anomalies instead of the expectations for what the number one and number two teams every year should be? I think it's too early to assume that. Now, I think the answer is yes, but I'm not ready to definitively say that. Definitively say that is the way it should have come out of my mouth. Here's what Parker's asking. 2019 LSU was a historic team. 2020 Alabama was a historic team. And 2018 Clemson in the title game had a historic performance. And so the expectation got shifted. That's why everyone's so surprised at how much parity there is, even at the top of the sport right now this year, because they got used to that. They, they thought that was the new normal. And I don't think that it's reasonable to just expect a superpower team every single year in college football. 
I just think we had them for a couple of years there, and maybe that was the way it was, and maybe we have reverted back to normal. The reason I think I'm hesitant to say it that way is because this year, as much as I love touting this as a renaissance season, notice I've been saying those two words together, renaissance season, because I don't know if this extends past this season. I hope it does. I've never believed we have to expand a playoff to get the kind of thing we're getting this year. Uh, Case in point, we don't have an expanded playoff, and we're getting it this year. But if you wanted to play devil's advocate and you wanted to argue, but Josh, that could be because of the super senior rule, and by and large, everyone's roster is more experienced this year, therefore that disproportionately helps defenses, and also it just so happens that we don't have a superstar quarterback in the sport yet this year, and so it's brought everyone closer to the pack, I would say that's reasonable. We'll see if it carries over. We'll see how that translates 2022 and beyond. Having said that, I do not believe that it's going to be more normal to have a 2019 or 2020 LSU Bama than it will be to have a season like this. I think this season is a higher percentage example of what normal will be in college football moving forward than having one of those superpower teams emerge. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be tiers. There's a tier in college football right now, and it's two teams deep. It's Bama and it's Georgia. So there's still a tier one in college football this year. The difference is you've seen both of those teams push to within one possession at the end of a game already, and we're not out of September yet. So they look vulnerable. They do look beatable. You also know that inevitably, if they continue on that kind of course, they'll have to play each other. And I think you'd have confidence one knocks the other out. I don't have that confidence. I think they'd both be in. Into what? I don't know. I'm not allowed to talk about that thing at the end of the year before September ends. Oh, voice barely hanging on. Let's see if we can make it. Steven, next up, (laughs) Steven said, If you had a secret betting show on Friday night, why would it theoretically be bad if the bosses found out? Stephen, I'm glad you asked this in purely hypothetical terms because there is absolutely no way, as we all know, that I've been hosting a super secret late Friday night Instagram live only gambling chat. There's no way that's been happening. But if I did do that, then the reason why we would want to keep it off the radar and do it after management goes to bed is because theoretically, if you worked for a company that, let's say, mandated you only reference, let's say, one sportsbook entity out there in your coverage, then maybe you'd want to wait until later and do it on your own social media platform so that you could kind of circumvent that rule. Maybe they'd want to slap some branding on it. Maybe they want to ratchet it up and have a certain format and put a production crew on it instead of doing it really, really sketch out of a hotel. Yeah, sketch out of a hotel room bad lighting, where are our elements at? This doesn't meet our broadcast standards. And Stephen, that's the kind of thing you would hear in feedback. That's the kind of thing you would get in a Monday morning quality control report, QCR for an abbreviation. And so instead of all that, we just keep it off the radar. Again, hypothetically, if we were to be doing that sort of thing, which of course doesn't sound like me at all. We continue. Mason up next. Who do you think gives Auburn the best chance to win going forward? TJ Finley or Bo Nix? I have no clue. I do not know. I watched the end of that game the other day. Auburn was playing Georgia State. They got pushed to the very limit in Jordan-Hare Stadium. It was a bad game for them. No two ways about that. Bo Nix got pulled. T.J. Finley came in. He's the transfer from LSU. They won. I didn't think T.J. Finley lit the world on fire. I do not think there's going to be – oh, man. I mean, it's really going. The voice is really going. Don't edit it out, though, Jordan. They need to hear the struggle. 
I do not think there's going to be some quantum leap or noticeable upgrade regardless of who's in at quarterback for Auburn. I just think there is a cap on this team production-wise this year offensively uh, that's probably close to being reached regardless of which quarterback's in. Now, that doesn't have to be the case going forward. Uh, but Brian Harson's playing the hand he was dealt right now. I will say this, whether he's right or wrong, I'm not here to judge right now because he knows way more about his team than I do. But I will tell you, he made a staff move this week. He fired his wide receivers coach. A lot of people have had a lot to say about that. I have not been one of them, as you've noticed. Um, I think there's a little bit more to every situation like that than you see on the surface. Sometimes it's okay to talk about. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's best to just keep your mouth shut because you don't see the whole picture. Well, I'm the guy who's going to keep his mouth shut. But I will tell you, I don't think that that move was made strictly because of poor on-field performance. I don't think that happened a month into year one. I don't think Brian Harson made a move simply because a unit was underperforming. I don't think that was the case solely. And so, uh, but what I was going to say is he made the move and he also made the quarterback move. And it doesn't, it doesn't appear he really cares what anyone thinks about it. Now, I applaud that because that's the way I would coach. That's the way we would handle it at Pate State. Pate State material, hashtag. But I also don't know if I wouldn't be fired a couple of months in or a couple of years in because maybe my way wouldn't be the best way. But I do not like seeing coaches second-guess themselves once they get negative feedback on a reaction because that means the determining factor is not your decision-making. You're making a decision and then allowing the determining factor being what the reaction is. If you're doing that, you have no business being on the field. You can be in the stands. You can buy a ticket just like everyone else. Next up, Clayton. I'm glad someone asked about this. Clayton said, were you offended by Coach Cristobal's interaction with Chris Hudson during the Arizona game? A lot of you know what this is about. I'm going to be as careful as I can not to get worked up. I don't have the voice to get worked up right now. Uh, but what happened was Chris Hudson, wide receiver at Oregon, he caught a ball, I think it was a first down, spun it, gets a 15-yarder, unsportsmanlike, and then gets absolutely lit into by Mario Cristobal. Now that's what happened. I'm going to tell you what I think about it right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So Clayton wants to know what I thought about Mario Cristobal ripping into a receiver who cost his team a 15-yard penalty. I had no problem with it, of course, because I've been in a locker room before, because I had good parenting growing up. Like I, I loved it. And what stood out to me, above and beyond anything else, and this is usually the case in a situation like this, Chris Hudson locks his eyes on Mario Cristobal the entire time. I mean, stares him in the eye like a man the entire time and takes it. And I guarantee if I had Chris Hudson on this podcast right now, he would be the least offended of anyone. He'd tell you, 
I screwed up. I brought embarrassment, therefore I deserve to be embarrassed. But that's not how it works. When you got folks out there looking to garner attention by being offended for someone else, and i got to be careful here, but that's not how it works. See, in someone's mind who is perpetually looking to be offended for someone else, even if that person is not offended in the slightest, they think in terms of sound bites and snapshots. And so the snapshot and the soundbite here does not start with the play. In their mind, it starts, you, like you press play on that moment, and it starts with Mario Cristobal throwing his headset and screaming at a kid. And that is void of any context, of course. And so I heard, I won't mention the name, uh, I was very aggravated by it though, the person working color commentary for ESPN, or whichever broadcast it was, made the comment that uh, this is a little bit overboard now, we don't want to embarrass the kid. No, you absolutely do. You absolutely do, because anyone who was coached the right way growing up was taught, I will never embarrass you unless you embarrass me and embarrass this team. If you embarrass that team and you embarrass me, there is no limit to what I will do to you in front of everyone, because at that point, you deserve it. And so that's exactly what Chris Hudson did. He brought about a 15-yard penalty in a game that was competitive at that time, and he got chewed out because of it. At that point, when you've done that, you don't have the right to not be embarrassed or not be humiliated. It's not the worst thing in the world. Some of the best teaching lessons ever are when you get made to look like a fool in front of a lot of people because you know what it makes you do in the future? It corrects behavior, and it makes you think twice about doing something stupid. You know how much injury, physically or emotionally, that Chris Hudson suffered Saturday? Nada. You know how many lessons he learned? At least one big one. And then afterwards, what just leads me to not even take it seriously anymore is that same color commentator goes on Twitter and starts bringing race into it and saying, well, it made me uncomfortable to watch it because of racial overtones. At that point, again, you have branded yourself foolish, and I cannot take you seriously. For that to be the first thing that entered anyone's mind watching that exchange is beyond me. I don't even know how you think like that, but yet people do. Okay, so now let me tell you how Mario Cristobal handled it today. He had a press conference today. Today is Monday as I'm recording. You're listening on Tuesday. And Mario was asked, here's the question. I'm just going to read the transcript. Question, we haven't seen you get so angry on the sideline. At least I can't think of a time where you were the way you were on Saturday. I'm wondering if you've looked at the tape and if that's something you wish you would have done differently. What's your perspective overall about reprimanding a player on the sideline in general? That's the question. Fair enough. Here's Mario Cristobal's response. My perspective is that Chris and I have a real relationship and a real agreement with accountability standards. That was a big play. It hurt the team. It required a strong and intense verbal message that reestablished our accountability standards. For clarity on that, I think that was achieved. I respect Chris. He respects me. We respect the process. We cannot hurt the team. I trust him. Obviously, we want to get him back into the game with a clear mind and to attack the opportunity and to go with the game. And that's what we did. And that's what I did. That's what a leader sounds like. That's why he's down there leading. And that's why other people who happen to maybe wear a headset would not be offered that kind of position. I respect this industry. I respect the people in those positions, those broadcast positions. But I'm telling you, it was garbage. I really thought it was garbage. The insinuation that was made afterwards, I just disagreed with the opinion during the game. But then when you take to social media afterwards and you throw that kind of stuff out there, that's garbage. And I'm telling you, that man is also calling an Oregon game or scheduled to this Saturday, and that's garbage if that's allowed to happen. So hope I haven't been unclear. That's how I feel about that. I know we have some of his coworkers that listen to this podcast. Uh, I respect them. 
I mean, I, I have a load of respect for people who do that job. I don't have any respect for the things that came out of that broadcaster's mouth and then subsequently on his social media channels over the last couple of days. Let's roll on with Dan. Dan said, best quarterback in college football so far. I think it's Bryce Young. Uh, but we can look past Bryce Young for a second. I mean, that's my short answer. There are some quarterbacks out there doing some things that are maybe not totally on the radar. Talia Tonga-Vailoa, to his brother at Maryland, they're undefeated right now. They play a huge game. Do not overlook this Friday. I know a lot of you go to high school football games. Keep an eye on Iowa at Maryland. Both of those teams are undefeated. It's a conference game. It is really big for the Big Ten, but that's also a staple of the kind of game you get in a renaissance season. You got all kind of matchups that you did not think you would have a spotlight on that all of a sudden you find yourself a month in the season putting a spotlight on. That's a Friday game. That's before this Saturday. And while I'm at it, this next two-week period is insanity. It's pure insanity. Imagine being booked for a wedding in any Saturday in fall, but especially these next two Saturdays. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be us. Hopefully, you are included in us. Could not be us. I tweeted this out earlier today. I'm about to read you, and I'm going to hopefully do it in one breath. All of the games I'm about to list are happening in the next, uh, what, 11 days or so, the next two Saturdays. Here we go. Arkansas at Georgia. Ole Miss at Alabama. Cincinnati at Notre Dame. Michigan at Wisconsin. Baylor at Oklahoma State. Two undefeateds. Texas at TCU. Florida at Kentucky. Auburn at LSU, Oklahoma at Kansas State, A&M hosting Alabama, Red River Shootout, Oklahoma, Texas, Penn State at Iowa, LSU at Kentucky, Georgia at Auburn, Notre Dame at Vitech, Arkansas at Ole Miss. <sighs> Think about how great the sport is when you only have to list the marquee games over a two-week period, and I have very, very big lung capacity, by the way. I can hold my breath over two minutes, and even I... Barely got all that out in one breath. What a great sport. What a great sport. And some of you have committed yourself to weddings. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. We've gone down this road several times. I'm not going to do it. I don't have the voice nor the heart to do it right now. I just don't get it. Make it make sense to me. And then I had someone tell me, I'm already booked in a wedding for week three of next year. Huh? I, oh, I feel bad. I mean, I feel like I need to send sympathy cards, not chalai of supremacy, because that is anything but supreme. Maybe chalai of shame? I don't know. Uh, I got lost there, because the other name I was going to mention is Tanner Mordecai is doing really good things at SMU right now. And here's what's even greater. If you Google Tanner Mordecai's name and you look at the most recent news, as of five days ago, the Waco Tribune Herald put out a headline that says, and I quote, Hail Mary, full of grace, Mordecai can chuck it past your face. That's all the scouting reports you need, people. Check out an SMU game. Terrence Mordecai, SMU undefeated right now. They've had a great start to the 2021 season. They've also got a jersey combination. I don't know if they wear it every game, but they've got a jersey combination where, as you know, they're located in Dallas, and they put Dallas across the chest in script, in like cursive script, and it just looks great. I'm not, a, I'm not for a lot of the newer jersey combinations. You can call me whatever you want to. Like, I think Penn State's jersey is awesome, so that lets you know where I stand on jersey combinations. But SMU's Dallas script across the chest, that looks really good. It also looks good that they're winning. So good on Sonny Dykes, good on SMU, and good on us for making it through this thing. I've still got a voice. I don't know how much longer it's going to last. I'm going to tap out right now. Thank you so much for listening. For producer Jordan about to take the handoff, cut this thing up and get it ready for you in the wee hours of the morning. Thank you to him too. 
make sure you're leaving five-star reviews. That's the only request. Following on Twitter, of course, and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. But the five-star reviews in Apple Podcast. I think that's part of the reason why we have rocketed up, along with just raw download numbers. So let's keep that going. Keep the train rolling. Management loves it. The high-level mustaches, they're over the moon excited about it. So thank you for that. Until next time, have yourselves a great Tuesday, and God bless. to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.